Hello everyone, welcome to the Breaking Uneven podcast. We love to talk shop, uncover the beauty of failures and play a few games. Today we have with us an author, the co-host of the Desi Spark podcast and the chief of staff at Kriya, Anika Sharma. She graduated with two BS degrees in biobehavioral health and neuropsychology and an MR from Penn State and then an MPH from GWU. She has authored three books so far and has a podcast where they discuss issues surrounding multicultural South Asian experiences that are generally only whispered about. They are in the top 2.5% of podcasts globally. Have you missed anything noteworthy from your journey so far, Anika? I feel like you're making me sound much, much cooler than I actually am. So I'm smiling here because I'm like, oh my God, that just, that sounds really awesome. <laughs> no, yeah, it's incredible how much you do and how much you've done so far. But before we get like straight into it, um, we have a quick little game for you. And uh, Anuj will take us through that. Cool. So we, we call this game the Twitter Pitch Challenge. Right? And Twitter is known for its 280 character limit on every tweet which sometimes makes it a little difficult to convey your thoughts. Uh, we tested it, so it takes about 20 seconds to speak 280 characters, and therefore we transfer this challenge to you to explain to us your latest book in just 20 seconds. But we won't make it that easy. You need to also use one emoji and one hashtag in your tweet. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, this is going to be problematic. I feel like, you know, we do rapid fires on our podcast, and I am the worst at them. So, you know, I'm sure that you guys will... <laughs> We'll be entertained as I try to figure this out, but okay. All right, so, so. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start your time off in three, two, one, go. Sugar, spice, and can't play nice, book emoji, is a story of two people set for marriage who had a one night stand the week before and hate each other. Hashtag romcom. All right, amazing. Yes! <laughs> Please show that to my podcast co-host so that you can prove to her that I can, in fact, do this. Um, no, that's amazing. 15 seconds is pretty good. We've had a couple of people that have reached up to 20 seconds, so 15 is great. Oh, I 100% thought I was going to do too. So I feel like now my pitch is probably worse than it actually should be because I was like, oh my God, I gotta go faster. No, so. no, it's perfect. Everyone's gonna be like, this book is terrible. What? No, no, it's perfect because like you've encapsulated exactly like the main points of the book. So it'll be nice to like read it when it launches soon. Um, But before, like we talk more about your books and things like that, like you mentioned this, like, or like we mentioned, there's so many things that you do. Like, how do you manage all of that? Like having a podcast, being an author and having a job, like I'm pretty sure it gets a little overwhelming at times what's your like strategy I guess it does it does and I I both love and have a hard time with that question only because I think that it changes all the time and in terms of management um I just changed jobs so I was actually at Cornell Medicine for three and a half years um and it was more of a nine to five than my current job and you know probably more than any other you know future job and so there was some level of balance because it was very easy to just say, all right, nine to five, those are my work hours. I'm going to try not to do anything else during that time. And then that means I have, I don't know, eight hours during the rest of the day that I can work on whatever it is I feel like working on, which was great. There were moments of overwhelm. I think one of the things is realizing you can't do everything, especially as, you know, I also, I just got married about two years ago. And so there was like this inherent pressure, right? Like, oh my gosh, now suddenly I really want to keep the house clean and I want to make dinner and I want to be all these million things that are so outdated and not necessary, but you know, the pressure hits you and you think like, oh my gosh, I need to do that. And then I realized my husband's a great cook. He's probably potentially better than I am actually. And then more than that, he's really willing to take on so many different things. So it took a little while to kind of get into the flow of like, oh yeah, he, he's, he's got this. He can handle everything if he needs to and I can focus on what I want to focus on. Um, there are stressful days. I think it does come down, you know, the, the stereotypical answer is time management, but the other thing is also knowing you're going to drop the ball. So every day deciding you can't do all three things, the likelihood of doing everything is, is very low. So 
it's sometimes it's just like, all right, today is a work focused day. There is no way I'm touching anything <laughs> podcast related. There is no way I'm writing anything. Um, and then, you know, when the book releases come, then your focus shifts and the other two might take a back seat. You might have to be transparent with your teams about that too. So there's a little bit of give and take and a lot of push and it's not a perfect system and I still have not figured it out, to be honest. <laughs> well, then like what keeps you motivated to do like all three? Is it like the love for each one that you don't want to like let go of any of it? Or is it like you're just, yeah, like I have the time, I can do it, why not? Yeah, I think that it's more that you, I feel a really strong purpose when I do, especially the podcasting and the writing. Uh, the day job now aligns a little bit more with what I love to do, but I think that Previously, I was unhappy because it. I, I love healthcare. That's what I went to school for, obviously. But uh, it wasn't necessarily something that lit a fire. It was just something that I thought was interesting. And if I have to have a day job, then I'll choose it in that. And um, you know, as the podcast has grown, as writing has grown, I've realized that the places I feel the most comfortable are in those spaces. So I think that you know that is a good driver in and of itself to feel a sense of purpose and to feel like your greater calling is something that you can in fact chase. And so, you know, and I'm very lucky to have found it. You know, I look at my husband sometimes we talk and he says like, you found it really young. And he's like, not everyone gets to do that. And I think that's been an incredible feeling and it's been an incredible opportunity to be able to pursue. So that way, even if the day job has its days where I like, you know, when I wasn't so happy at my old job, it was much easier for me to just say, it's all right. I still have, I have that. And that's, fulfilling enough to take over everything else for a while but you know in a perfect world I think I just chase all of that stuff full-time but sadly in the U.S. we need health insurance and retirement accounts and all of those things and so until we get to that point you know I'm just going to do my best to make sure it carries over in all the all the domains. Amazing did you did you always you know want to be an author did you see yourself being an author since you were since you were young or was it something you kind of um, just got into? Someone asked me that question the other day um, for another interview, and it was really funny. I have written my whole life. So in, I don't know if this is just unique to our state in the U.S., but there was this day in uh, elementary school called Young Authors Day. So every classroom uh, in the district, in our school district, would write stories. Every child would write a story, and they'd take those stories, and they'd put them on display at the mall. So you'd have to go on a Saturday with your family. You'd have to find this cardboard box that had your classroom's name on it and then fish out your own um your own story and my parents took me every year they always wanted to see what I had to write and what kinds of stories I was telling and sometimes it was something like about a rainforest it was like a textbook about a rainforest and other times it was a cheap knockoff story of like the prince and the pauper um, about twins who get switched and have to face battles and stuff and it's carried over and and sometimes that was also came in the form of like these really angsty journals like I read through my high school journals and I keep thinking I have no idea who these people are anymore um, but they were very very detailed and very very like this happened and then that happened and this huge thing was like this total wreck in everybody's life and um, and so it's, it's always been there and then uh, my parents told me to go into journalism and I actually didn't listen and I, I you know, I, I'm lucky I have parents who are actually in tune with what I'm good at, but I was convinced that they had no idea what they were talking about. So I <laughs> went into a totally different field and they thankfully never said, I told you so. I'm very lucky they never said, I told you so, <laughs> but they had every right. And um, in my 20s, it was finally like, all right, I'm gonna write a book. And then since then, it's just been like, this is just the greatest love of my life. So I think um, it was a long time coming. It's always been there. It was just had to be the right time to really pursue it as a professional thing and to have the confidence and to even have a little bit of the naivete to go and do it because there are a lot of odds sometimes stacked against you and you have to forget that they exist in order to be able to chase it down. So to get to that place took some time, but I'm glad that I did get there. Amazing. I think, um, so how do you kind of decide what to write about? I mean, you know, uh, it's obviously, as you said, you've been writing since you were really young and obviously through your podcast, through your work and everything, you can write a, about a whole range of topics. But like, I'm sure obviously when you start writing also that topic might change, but how do you kind of decide that, okay, this is something I want to talk about. This is something I want to put down on paper. I think that I usually have a little bit of a bank of story, potential ideas and um, potential plots that there kind of could be, but usually... The, I've written four or five books. One of them has not gotten picked up. And then the rest of them, 
I it's kind of a weird intuitive like you know and you know sort of feeling it's like when you meet the one person that you're gonna spend the rest of your life with you might just know and uh and and those characters start talking in in a very tangible way it's like in your head you can see it you can hear it you can you can tell immediately what those characters could potentially be like now every writer's process doesn't work like that but mine does so whenever there's a story i'm like i can chase this it's always like you know a very clear this character is talking and they will not let me forget that they're talking <laughs> so like okay in terms of like the process and things like that like in your podcast, in your book series, um, the book that is launching soon and the book that you've previously written, um, all like speak about like important, um, important topics in like the South Asian community. Um, what, like, what is your motivation for speaking about these uh, topics? And is it something that you've personally experienced? Like, is that the reason that you're so like attached to it? Or is it because you think that like it's important to speak about it because you see it around you? It's both. So I grew up in a college town. Um, I my dad is a professor at Penn State, so we actually didn't have a whole lot of Indian kids growing up. So I was kind of sequestered from my my cultural experience came from a very traditional family, but the other kids we all had different experiences, and not all of us were as tied to being Indian or being you know, South Asian broadly, um, we all had, you know, we didn't connect with each other either. We all had different friend groups. So it was kind of isolating in that sense. And so we all knew each other. We were friends, but it was very much like, okay, your parents throw a party, you hang out for a couple hours, but maybe in school, you're not actually really close at all. And so by the time I got to college, I was on a dance team and I was still kind of on the outside. I wasn't necessarily in the, the, the crowd that really drove it forward, but we, we all did really well. And I realized how many people there were. And, and it allows you sort of to see, okay, these are the things I've missed. These are the things I, I know and that I really love about all the cultural elements that we have. And also, these are the di different experiences that everybody has. And, you know, before, since, like I said, I grew up in a college town, everybody's dad went to IIT. I know that sounds really funny now when I say that because I didn't think at the time it was weird. I didn't think that was unique at all. I honestly did not know that IIT was as esteemed as it is. So, because everybody, every uncle in, the, in their town went there. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, the community college of, you know, Pennsylvania, like great, everybody goes. And one day this, this kid in, I took till college and this kid goes, wait, your dad went to IIT? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, dude, that's like Harvard or like even except on steroids. And I was like, no. And, and then I went home and I was like, you went to the Harvard on steroids? And he was like, and my dad just kind of like laughed it off. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. But I had no idea. And, and it was just so funny to think that then I was meeting Indian kids who had also not had um, the most privileged life. We, we They had grown up in inner cities. Their parents were, you know, running businesses that perhaps were in not the greatest neighborhoods. I, I knew a kid who uh, had grown up with gunshots around the corner from him a lot, and his parents did what they could to send him to a really good like Catholic school because the quality of those schools is pretty good. So they did what they could, but it was just really interesting to hear this just, just enormous experience across the board about all of our lives and, and how we all came from the same place, which is already a bonding experience, and then also noticing the common issues we faced. So originally with you know with girls that could be something like you know uh period stigma it could be just dating because once you're in your 20s everybody's dating and some people you know choose to marry outside of like your any kind of south asian culture and other people don't and why is that and and what are the barriers to that what are the barriers to being happy so basically the long answer is essentially you know i'm giving you a very long answer but the short answer is is that you know we lived through those experiences and we could have done with more voices to hear about it. And now we have the mediums with the internet and with podcasts and with everything, the accessibility to get those stories and not feel alone. So whether it's through books or through podcasts, the reason that South Asian stories run through all of those is not just because I'm attached and because that's who I am, but because I realize how much it would have helped um, all of the people that we had grown up with um, and you know how great that opportunity is. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it's also hard um, for you. So Anuj and I both are uh, from Mumbai and I like we moved to London a few years ago and now Anuj has moved back. But given that like you 
live your life completely outside of India, but then still have that influence is kind of like difficult to understand and like grow a part of. So was there ever like, I guess, you know, the confusion of like not belonging to either side, like you're not completely influenced by the Indian culture, but at the same time, you're not completely influenced by the American culture either. Like did that ever like cause problems or like that confusion or anything like throughout your childhood? Oh, absolutely. I think that that's a very common experience across the board because every time we come back to, so my family's from Hyderabad and uh, my mom's side is based out of Delhi. And every time we go back, just because of the way I speak, right? I, I actually speak Telugu very, very well. Um, at least that's what everybody tells me that they're like always amazed that I don't have much of an accent when I speak. But, you know, you still hear like uh, a lot of jokes like, oh God, she's just, she, you're just so American. And I'm like, I speak Telugu and none of you speak it anymore at home. So I don't want to hear it because I'm like 1987 Indian, man. And, you know, like just because you're 2022 doesn't make me make you cooler than I am now. And uh, and at the same time here, you know, there's there's the unique element that I don't necessarily think people in India would understand on, on this level is that there is a race element here. And the things that we have to go through and the things that we have to face look very different. Now, to be fair, when we talk about some of these South Asian issues on the podcast, broadly, yeah, they probably do apply to to Indians in the U.S. and Indians in India, but or Indians everywhere. But there are also unique considerations yeah. that we don't have. So, for example, if we go to college, we never think about quotas, whereas that is something that someone in India would think about. We think about, you know, our experiences across the board look really different. So even if there are some cultural things that tie us, the way that we interact with them looks really different, whether we're in the US or whether we're in India and grew up there. And so that can also, that still influences our storytelling, I think. I think that with my books, people from India have sometimes written and been like, but that's not what it's like. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not what it's like for you. That's what it was like if you grew up here. And then on the opposite side, it can also be, you know, if you know, people will say like, oh, well, it's not like that in India anymore. And you're like, yeah, but our parents came in 1987 or 1980 or whatever. And so for them, they still have those mentalities. And so these differences definitely come through in funny ways. And, and I think that we've all had struggles as teenagers that we took very deeply personally <laughs> that people called us not Indian enough. But I think now as adults, we're finding our way. It's just that, you know, there's still moments of things that we probably won't understand if we go back and they probably won't understand if they had to be here. So, you know, it's, there are definitely still clashes every once in a while. And, and you see them as people choose their partners and you see them as they have children and you see them deciding not to be exactly the same as their parents or their grandparents or whatever, you know, these, these things change. And, and I think that those identity issues come through a lot. I think we see them a lot in different ways. I'm glad you brought up the part that, um, that when like people have come up to you being like oh this is not how it was like because when i uh when i read uh love china the four letter words even i was like that's not how it is for me back home or like it's not what i like recognize india to be but then it was also like trying to open up my mind to like other um like because india's massive so there's no way for anyone yeah. to know what anyone's feeling or going through anywhere so just to like, I guess, recognize that, yeah, like sometimes when I speak to people um, from like other like countries and things like that, and like the opinions they have, like I then kind of get defensive sometimes being like, but, like I've had a different experience, but um, no, it's great like yeah, to open course. up those conversations. Well, I think it's funny because there's a scene in, in Love Chai that has like a hospital and someone's like, hospitals like that are not like this in India. And I was like, I went to the one I wrote about. My, my, like a relative was in the hospital I wrote about and this very much happened. So you, you know, it's, it is tough because I think we're capturing a billion people across an entire globe. It's not just, you know, a billion people stuck in, in South Asian countries or stuck in the U.S. It's across the globe and that means a billion experiences that look really different so in terms of india like if you ask me what it is i i only have really positive things to say of course you know there are critical things we can all say but it's kind of like living in the us like there it's a great place but there's there's stuff we can always say could be better i don't think that india is like this poor country that has so many backwards notions or anything like that but I think that as an Indian who reads the book, it's very possible that someone could be like, oh, I kind of see a little different. But also, 
if we're from Mumbai, Hyderabad, Delhi, any of the major cities at all, the chances of us experiencing what a small town life looks like are probably slightly less, and we probably are far more liberal than a family like the characters in the book. So I've, you know, it's also interesting because I feel like I get a lot of message, more messages that say this is our life than I do this is not. And a lot of those are actually from here, which is even more interesting because then you break that down and you're like, well, that means these mentalities carried regardless of where we were. And also they were probably rooted in families that perhaps, you know, didn't have as much privilege at the time and hung on to whatever they could. So, you know, it is really interesting just to see the experiences across the board. And that is something I do like always, you know, I'm glad that you brought it up and I'm glad that we have that difference in experience because, you know, it is, it is different. Reading does open your mind, but I also think that it's not necessarily ever fair for any of us, for me to say, oh, India is not like that. The U.S. isn't like that. And I don't think that it's, it's ever, because there's a billion experiences. Yeah. There are a billion experiences. Like who the hell are we to think that we have the, the claim on it, right? <laughs> so I, I think, you know, yeah, absolutely. If it's different, I'm glad. I'm very glad. I don't like a lot of the things that happened in that book. So I'm, I'm very happy that your life is different. <laughs> I think, um, you know, there is the distinction between <clears throat> urban cities, bigger yeah. cities, rural cities, etc. Then yeah. within urban cities, there's a distinction, you know, amongst income groups, amongst certain yeah. parts within the urban cities. But, you know, even if um, even if I was to, let's say, compare like to like, right, considering the neighborhood I stay in, another family of the exact same income level, kind of same background, etc. There are still so many differences within the two yeah. family types. Um, and that's just because of the diversity of India, right, in terms of religions, in terms of where people come from. Um, so that kind of is, yeah, as you said, there are a billion different experiences, not a single experience is the same. And it, it's, you know, the thing with people in general is when they read something, they kind of like to think of it in a generalized manner. Like they think, oh, mm -hmm. this person is saying this is how the generalized system is. It's not. I mean, it's one experience that's being spoken about. You take from it what you will. Um, but yeah, I think that's just kind of... Uh, what what people expect and what people take away from it um but you know speaking about the book right so how do you what is what is your let's say process of writing a book what are the stages so i used to be more of what what the writing community calls a pantser so that's like flying by the seat of your pants you are equally as surprised as your reader about what's happening because when you're writing it you have no idea what's going to what's going to happen so love chai is more of that but also um, it was like, like it was to the point where the story structure was so off that my editor had to be like, you need to put about four chapters of more stuff in the front in order to actually hit the pace that you're supposed to hit. So, um, you know, it was, it was like a very pantsing job essentially. <laughs> and then now I've turned the opposite because with book two, I plotted the whole thing and then I sent it to my editor and got notes and then started the book. I don't write in sequence. I don't always write like chapter one, then two, oh. then three. But if I have a general outline, I can always dive in because I know what's happening. I know where these characters are, how they should be feeling, and I can write accordingly as I, as I kind of fill in the gaps and sew it all together. So, um, you know, I know that there's many different processes and different people have different, different ways of doing it. But now I think I've come to that and I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I think it's kind of like... Um... I mean, if I was to drive uh, an analogy compared to like, you know, being an entrepreneur, it's it's not always that you start with the first thing, which is registering your business and then like, you know, uh, yeah. hiring a team and then this and this and this. It's like the things that click at certain moments of time, you give those priority and get them because you've got ideas for it. You've got the energy for it. So you could like pretty much set up the entire thing before registering it or pretty much yeah. set up like most of it yourself before even hiring someone. I mean, that's the closest analogy I can think of in terms of not being a writer, but being an entrepreneur. That's absolutely right, though. I think that, you know, you lay the foundation and the foundation can look very different. The foundation doesn't necessarily need to start with that first step every single time. It can sometimes be step three or step 10 or step 20, and you can fill in the gaps. I mean, ultimately, there'll come a point where you have to do one of those things or have to do some of those <laughs> things. But, you know, it comes when it comes, and that's not always at the beginning. So I think recognizing that, writing as is life is not necessarily linear is is like really important to be able to, to function and do it successfully 
Yeah, no, the, like I was surprised to know that you don't write an audio. Like I thought that's how like most <laughs> books are written in terms of like you go from chapter one to two. But given that you, yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, I think that part of that is also just it's surprising because, you know, you think that you have to you have to build on everything, but sometimes it also depends on what mood you're in, right? It's a very hard thing for me anyway, not for not for everybody, but for me. To write a really happy scene if I had a really hard day. I If I want everybody to jump off a cliff, I am not writing about them being at a party. So it's going to be much easier for me to, to put myself in a heartbreak scene if I'm having a hard day. It's much easier for me to, you know, celebrate and be really happy if everything is going well in life to be able to write really happy scenes. And so I think that that's you know, that's, it's a very, it's a very personal thing. I think a good writer should be able to do both, but yeah. I'm still, you know, I'm never going to claim that. So it's fine. I'm, I'm happy with the way that this is working for me right now. Yeah, no, it's great that you're, um, you're able to do that. Like, I think, yeah, it, it, like you need to have like an interesting method of, doing, I don't know. I, like, I was just surprised, like you're like, that was like the process, but, um, was it, <laughs> was it difficult for you? So in your book, you write from like an Indian girl's perspective, but also uh, American boy's perspective. Was it difficult to write from an American male perspective, I guess? It was in some funny ways, but so I, I was telling you earlier, I have a book that never made it to publishing, um, or never made it to, to the published state, but it's there. That whole story was all, you know, not all white characters, but the main characters were largely white. And I remember the feel, the difference between writing that story and writing anything else I've, I've written, have, which have all had Indian characters. And there is a huge difference. There is a lot less weight on your shoulders. Firstly, because as a creator, you're not supposed to worry about your audience whenever you're thinking about what you're, what you're putting your project together. I should not be thinking about how the reader is going to feel right this second, because otherwise it'll keep the story from coming out. But when you're writing as an Indian author, particularly in the US, you unfortunately sometimes do have to think those stuff through. Not just for sensitivity or making sure that you're doing it right, but also because there are a few of us. And that means that unfortunately that comes with a lot of expectation and it comes with, okay, you told our story. The story looks nothing like what I grew up with. You are all I have, so why don't you do better? And I think that that means that the environment has to change too. Like we need more brown writers. We need to be able to build these pipelines. There needs to be more diversity. There needs to be more inclusion. But that way readers can feel their stories and they can actually see their stories. They don't have to rely on us to tell them. But at the same time, you know, when I was writing as, as this, this whole white book, essentially, I didn't have to think about any of that. I just wrote the story. And I, there was some beauty in that. It was very freeing. Um, and so I think Nash is... I don't know that I did a very good job. Perf I'm like the worst salesperson, guys. If anyone hears this, they're going to be like, man, she just keeps talking about how bad her books are. Um, but I think that, you know, critically speaking, I don't know what it's like to be a white dude in America. Like, the only thing I know about that is that you can probably write with some level of audacity that I would never understand in real life. Um, so there was some level of freedom. You kind of can be like, you know, this guy gives two Fs what's happening in his life. I tried to make him a little more thoughtful than that, but, you know, he's not going to face the same barriers yeah. that Kieran would face coming in from India. So there is a difference in heaviness, and it was hard to do it. I don't know that I did, like, the most amazing job because I just don't have that experience. But it was freeing in a lot of ways, too, because I didn't have to think about those things. I didn't have to think about how they were represented or if they were, you know, really standing up to the bar that would make people proud. Like, that's, that's a fear you don't have to deal with. And, and I felt like that was really poignant and I just, like, I wouldn't have anticipated that. Yeah, no, I think um, it is it is tough, like, you know, speaking from a particular perspective, it requires a lot more thought, etc. Obviously, if, you've, if you're speaking from, pers from a perspective that is yours, you're just writing, right? Like, it's kind of like a mind dump um, and the creative block is a lot less. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so you, you've announced... Um, Sugar and spice, a uh, sugar spice, and can't play nice. But you know the real re the release is next year. So what is the what is the process that's you know happening in between? Why what is what takes it to go from announcement to launch, and why is that time period um, this so long? long? I mean, I'm not a writer, so 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 
Please excuse it's us. It's so <laughs> long. It's so long. Um, yeah, so whenever you submit a book, usually it looks a, a year minimum is how long it takes to come out um, when you write one. And that's not counting the amount of time. And this is speaking from an, a writer who's agented and published versus like self-publishing or a different route to successful writing. But this, so this is just my perspective there. But I would say that like, you know, from me sending a book to my agent, it might take a month or two for her to get to it and read it. Then, and it's a finished product. And then from the agent, if, if it's perfect and it's already good to go, she'll take that book and she'll send it to editors. That can take like six months for them to offer a deal in the first place because they're backlogged on their end with all these books that they're reading and deals they're offering, what the market looks like, if the company has the room for that story. It's, it's also harder for writers of color um, and, and everyone knows that. So that's, that's another consideration. So let's say that's already eight months from I finished this book to is it even getting in the door at the house. So then you have the deal. And from there, sometimes it can be up to a year, a year and a half, two years, depending on how many edits need to be made, what production looks like, what the schedule looks like, and where they want to place your book. So for example, Love Chai came out in September because it's kind of like a kind of a summery romance, but it also goes through the fall. And there's like, you know, it can, it can work in those time frames. Originally, we thought about December, but it's not a Christmas story. And that's something you have to consider when you're looking at the market. Is your story very holiday focused? Because there is a, there is a mar huge market for Christmas romances, but if your book isn't one, is it gonna sell well? So they have to frame that properly. And then they have to think through like, what's next? What's the third book? What's the fourth book? You know, things like that. So that's why it takes so long. There's so many more decisions than I wrote the book because I wrote the book a year and a half ago. It's, it's been done. I've forgotten about it at this point. And there are moments where I have to go through Love Chai and now Sugar Spice and confirm details I already wrote because I can't remember them. So, you know, it's, it's at the point where, you know, you have closed the door as the creator on that project in terms of creation. And you kind of have to keep reopening it as you edit, as you go through the process. And then when it's released, you are already probably a project or two ahead when by the time you're promoting wow. it so it's 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 a long time and i don't think that uh you know one of the criticisms of love chai is like they meant you mentioned the pandemic and you mentioned it's over but it's not over and i was like i wrote it two years ago i didn't even i didn't even know the pandemic was going to happen and like you know the suggestion from editors was like put in a mention or two because hopefully it'll be done by the time your book comes out and by the time the book came out, we had vaccines, but the pandemic is still not over. And now we're, two, you know, more than two years in. So there's there's huge things that people ha like don't know. And I don't blame them for not knowing, but you know, as a writer, you're like, oh, I can't fix that. It is what it is, you know? So, um, so you know, it is interesting trying to keep up with the times and, and also try to, try to make sure that your book um, captures it, but also recognizing it might take up to two years, more than two years sometimes to get the book out there. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's obviously requires a lot of patience and, you know, not just patience with the fact that people are going to get back to you, but there's, you know, before that there's patience about whether it's going to get picked up. And then, mm -hmm. you know, you did have one book that didn't get picked up. So then to get back to writing after that, and going through that entire process again, I mean, kudos, right? It's not easy at all. Um, so that's that's really cool. Um, In terms of like your podcast, because that's another thing that you do, like how is that born? How did you meet your co-hosts? How is, um, like, what motivated? It Was it just like a conversation and you're like, okay, let's go? Or did it take like a lot of planning and things like that you put behind? Like, well, how was your podcast born? Yeah, so in 2018, I had just started at Cornell. It was like a couple months in, and my best friend was like, you have a lot to say, you should start a podcast. And I was like, what would I do a podcast on? And she was like, no, you, you know, you could, you, you could figure it out. It'd be fine, but you should start one. And I hadn't even really listened to them all that often, um, to be honest. And then a monthly, I was like, I don't have time. I'm writing and I'm working. So right now, this is not something I can do. And a month later, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this because you, you put the idea in my head and now I need to move forward with it. <laughs> so I was part of a Facebook group um, called uh, Little Brown Diary. And so I put a call for co-hosts in it and I just said, I'm thinking about a podcast that meets like this talk show um, that's on called The Real. And I was like, I'm thinking like The Real meets like Sex in the City and it would be more like girly and we could just talk about, you know, a bunch of different topics and, and just kind of laugh about them. 
And a bunch of people responded. And so I did a Google form that had like a bunch of questions, like an interview. Keep in mind, and you both will appreciate this because you're both podcasters, is I did not listen to their voices when I chose what these people, like all of the potential co-hosts. And I chose six of them. So there were six women involved and also I'd never heard their voices. So I didn't know if we sounded alike. I didn't know if maybe one of their voices wasn't great. I had no idea. I was just (laughs) such an idiot. And like, I was such a novice and I went into this and in in a, in a funny twist, three of them dropped off because we all had side projects. And so, um, you know, I, they had to start their businesses and things like that. And so they weren't able to, to participate. So we started with three co-hosts and it started in 2019 and it was called the woke Thesi, which I hated. I not the podcast. I love the podcast. I hated the title, but I had gotten outvoted. And so I was like, all right, fine. I guess we'll go forward with this title that I think is stupid. And, and so we went forward, we launched, and then it just sort of started taking off really rapidly. And, um, and then, you know, fast forward, the pandemic happens and it took off even more and we started getting bigger guests. Netflix started reaching out. Disney started reaching out. People, like, people started being like, can we come on your show? And I think that was the moment where we were like, oh my God, we made it. You know, now we don't have to do the sourcing anymore. This is great. And uh, yeah, so since then, it's just been like a really explosive growth. We changed, we rebranded last year to That They See Spark because um, the Woke They See didn't, you know, didn't fit us anyway. Not because it wasn't about the issues we were talking about, but more just that I didn't like labeling myself that because we kept telling listeners that we were learning with them. And I was like, we can't say that we're woke if we're not actually there yet, you know? So, you know, I just think that... And I just don't like using that the, that word in particular because it is um, it's African American vernacular, and I think the Black community in the U.S. has gotten a lot stolen from them anyway. Those are things that those kinds of words are used to to bond that community, and it's not fair for us to take them. So I was like, this is not this isn't the the right thing to do for us anyway. And on top of that, it doesn't fit who we've become, what our brand is. We keep doing interviews with celebrities. Why are we calling ourselves woke or not? So. Let's fix this. Let's just let's grow. And Nahol was on board with that. And our, our third partner was also on board, who's who's a silent partner. He produces. Um, and so, you know, we we rebranded and now it's it's been great. It's been so much fun. And it's it's definitely the highlight, one of the highlights of my life. The opportunities that have come have been immense. I think like, you know, being um, I can't think of another word for it, but being woke is more about like a mindset to learn and like adapt than like you know, you don't you, you're never there 100% it's more because like people are evolving and changing every day so you need to like learn and adapt and be open-minded to it all and that's more what it is than like knowing the state of today and accepting it today um I think it's more of a continuous evolution I agree and I think that you know that was what we went in with we were like the idea is that we're learning alongside our listeners too so these are things that I didn't know so many different things that we spoke about on the podcast with all these guests but I also think that labeling yourself as that can sometimes be a little bit dangerous because it gives people that perception that you know things that you might not know. And then if you say something inaccurate on your episode or you, I've had moments where I've been, you know, called out. Nahal has had moments where she's been called out and, and that's fine because it's a learning moment for us, but that also makes you think like, all right, this might've just been too cocky. And also it was just a trendy name. And, you know, at the time that, you know, that word was getting thrown around a lot and, now it's getting weaponized so is this the smartest move to be able to to use it across the board and so we were and then of course like i said you know we were changing our so many of our topics anyway that it was kind of like all right is this really even worth chasing like should we keep calling ourselves that so um we were lucky we 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 found that name we'd been playing with that they see spark for a long time and so um it was it was nice to be able to finally use it it was really nice to, to be able to use it no, that's that's cool in terms of I think y'all are ahead of the game. Like the podcast uh like industry I guess in twenty eighteen was probably just like kicking off. So starting at that point is nice. So y'all have been through like the entire um journey of like podcasting, I guess. Because I think now like initially they were all like podcasts were supposed to be audio only but so many of them so many of them are now evolving to like video and um audio like spotify itself has like a video platform but i mean 
like given that you didn't know the person that you were co-hosting with and then speaking about these like topics would be like quite the steep learning not learning of a steep curve between the two of you at least to like have that chemistry to like speak about such like topics was there like a lot of pilot episodes that you all did or was it just like okay let's start and see how it goes we started and saw how it was because like i said we were idiots and we didn't know what we were doing so we just like went on in and we were like whatever it is we're just gonna launch and if we launch and we don't know what we're doing that's fine and uh you know uh the the three of us the three of us had chemistry but one of us definitely you know there was more of a difference in age there was more of a difference in experience and life circumstance and um nahal and i were pretty instantaneous actually you know we are very similar in a lot of ways. We're very different in a lot of ways, but our work ethic and our mentality is similar um, in terms of wanting to hit the next level, wanting to get the next thing. We also both have very different skill sets. She's a marketer by trade, by her day, day job is a really demanding role in marketing. And so she has a very good mindset with pursuing opportunity and making sure those certain meetings are met and like, you know, like, oh yeah, we should connect with this person. We should have this creative idea. We should do this giveaway. We should do these that's her strength and that's her skill set. Mine was a lot in branding. Um, I like figuring out, you know, the tone of voice and the look and the aesthetic and the kinds of content that we put out and making sure that the language that we use is appropriate and it's it's catching what we want to do. So we have two different skill sets completely. And then our third partner is like the business mind and he's the one who's like, I don't know what you were thinking doing that and why are you making this so difficult for yourself? And, um, you know, he's the one that kind of, gives us ideas on copyrights and trademarks. And, you know, I know you were mentioning with starting a business, like he's the one who was like, we need to LLC and we need to make sure that we file for all of this soon. Um, and then, you know, so he manages taxes and stuff because God knows I'm not going to. So, you know, he's, he's the champ in that regard. So we have three different balancing kind of this triangle that, that works together and uh, it's been great, but we're very, we're really lucky. I mean, I met her on a Facebook group and she's now one of my best friends. So, you know, it's, um, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it was just like that one, this will never happen again. This lightning strike will likely never happen again in my life. So, um, you know, I'm just glad that it did happen when it did. On that note. So before, like last question, before we go to the next segment is, you know, you said you really didn't like the previous title that y'all had. So this, yeah. what do you think of our title, right? What do you think of breaking uneven? I like it actually. I think that it's apt and it's appropriate and it makes sense given the conversation that we've had too because like if I think about my journey I am never gonna call it breaking even I am never gonna say I've broken even on anything in my life so I think this is a really apt title um so I like the way that you're going with it and I like the direction I think you've nailed it thank you amazing okay awesome so let's let's go to the um next segment right so we call this two lies one truth um, and basically to get like to get a good understanding of the challenges that you faced as an author, we we'll ask you to give us three statements, out of which one is the actual greatest challenge that you've had, and then two are like made up challenges and um and we have to like guess which one is the correct challenge. Now I know we spoke a lot about it, so yeah, try to do something that you know we we don't know. <laughs> Okay, so the two lies and the truth, and all of them are challenges, but like are things that I, like I've gone through as a writer. Yeah, if yeah. it's if it's difficult for okay. just a writer, you can also like expand the like being podcasting or just like all your endeavors together. Okay, so I was offered two movie deals for a love chai and had to decide between the two. Spotify offered us a podcasting contract to. Uh, podcast under their label like you know their label or their company or whatever and my face was on billboards for Spotify's campaigns um, and we've been all over their website multiple times too <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I don't know what do you think Jamie? I think the first one. Oh wait, the two lies one too. Um, Which is the truth? Maybe the two. I'll say the truth is the the contract. Oh. 
Okay, cool. So I, I'm I'm gonna say I'm contract, gonna say the and movie, Johnny maybe. says the two movies. Yeah. Um, so the truth one is actually the the billboards. Um, I am not cool enough yet to have a movie deal or to have the full fledged Spotify contract yet. We have worked with Spotify. Um, they did a billboard campaign for Asian American Heritage Month, and they focused on um, a number of different Asian American podcasts, and we were one of them. So. Our faces were on billboards across New York and across San Francisco. So there were these digital things and we got to go and I got to see my face on it. And uh, it was it was very weird. It was very weird. And um, and then also uh, we have worked with them um, on different, you know, heritage months, different things like that where they've highlighted. So we've been on the front page a lot as, as a podcast for, for people. So. Thank you. I really wish that the movie deal was was the real one, though. That would have been really awesome. Or even Spotify thing. That's we're manifesting them. Those. I'm not hoping for. We'll manifest it. I don't even know if I believe in that, but I'll make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so moving on to our next segment, which will probably be your favorite, is the rapid fire. Okay, well, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, hopefully, yeah, it should be like interesting questions, but self-explanatory, just quick answers. Um, so the first question is, what is the scrappiest thing that you've done to build your entire, like your book, your podcast, and like just your job? Probably all the website building and things. I just didn't have the money to be able to afford professional people to do all of those things. So most of the design that we've done... The only thing that we did professionally was have our podcast logo be designed by an artist named Manasi Arya. She is on Instagram and I have to give her a shout out because she's incredible. But um, besides that, everything else has always been done in-house in terms and that's super scrappy. It's just like the only thing I can, I can't afford anything more than that right now. So. Uh, did you have a question while that was worth it? All the time. All the time. Uh, one word. Um, yeah, that's a short answer. That's a rapid fire answer all the time. <laughs> uh, one word to describe your emotion when you were named an Apple Books writer to watch. Shock. Shock. Uh, emotion when your first book was published. Also shock. Um, but pride. A lot of pride. A lot of pride. Uh, we are this place that you've walked from. Probably airports, probably airports. Um, a lot, I've done interviews a lot from 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 airports. Oh, so that's kind of it's always awkward. You have to wait till the <laughs> announcements go away and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's real weird. That's tricky. Um, what is the best oh shit moment you've had? Um, oh, interviewing Nick Lachey from 98 Degrees. I'm a, like a millennial, so boy bands are a thing. And when I got to speak to him, it was probably the weirdest thing from going like I was 14 your photo was on my wall and now I'm talking to you and telling you how cool I think you are it was is the wildest moment that was probably one of them oh, that's yeah that that's pretty cool um what is the worst ocean moment you've had um I think anytime I've realized that a job is not right for me has always been the moment where I thought oh shit because that means it's going to be a time of great growth and it's going to be a time of great stress. Yeah. Um, how long does it take to write one of your books? Anywhere from three to six months, if I'm really pushing on it and, and three months. Hard. I am a very slow writer. I'll admit that too. Yeah. I, I can bust them out if necessary, but it takes, it takes, <laughs> it takes effort. I thought three months was like short. <laughs> I I think it that involves like everyday writing yeah. and realistically that's not something I do with all of my books. It's like more like oh my god there's a deadline in 3 months and <laughs> I haven't started yet so now I have to work on it. That's when I can get there. Yeah. But um but yeah, generally 3 months is not my standard, but that was the yeah. shortest it ever took. Uh what is your favorite moment in Love Joy and other fall that awards? I think well Okay, so I think it's it's the scene where they go to the top of the rock um, and they get to see the skyline of the city because I think anytime you're in New York, if you get to see the skyline from above yeah. anywhere, it's like the most magical moment of your life. And there, it was a simple time. There's nothing fancy about that scene, but there's something about just the environment and two people looking at each other and thinking like, 
yeah, there's a little more to you than I'm really recognized. I think that there's, you know, you're in that environment where you're recognizing there's a little more to everything. It's, it's nice. Yeah. Um, what is your, what's the most favorite part of uh, podcasting? The different stories we get to hear and the responses we get in return about how people felt really seen and really heard. Uh, your dream podcast guest. Probably Deepika Padukone or Padma Lakshmi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, books or podcasts? Oh, that's mean. <laughs> books. I'm going to go with books. I'm going to go with books. Okay. Uh, iPad or notebook? Notebook. And are you a morning person or a night person? A morning person. Night person. Your favorite social media platform? Instagram. Okay. Fair. And this concludes the rapid fire. You did great. So no need to stress. Um, and before we end, we have like another segment where we ask our previous guest to ask our next guest a question. Um, so the question was, um, what is it that they like, what is it that you do right now that you could have probably, that you could probably do different to make your future better? Wow. That's a really good question. Holy cow. Oh man. Now I feel like the pressure's on too for my, my question for your next <laughs> guest. I was not going to go that deep, but I, I don't know that I would do anything differently. I think that you're meant to be where you're meant to be and what your future outcome is depends on what you decide now. So it's more, I, I don't know that I would change anything, but I think that if, if like he absolutely had to make a call and be like, this would have been done differently, I wouldn't have majored in all any of the things I majored in. I would have gone in and I would have done journalism the way my parents suggested. I would have done marketing the way my parents suggested. And I would have gone in and I probably would have done a very different career. However, again, I don't know what, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And secondly, I wouldn't even know that had I not done everything I've done. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a circular argument here, but, but yeah, I, I wouldn't have majored in any of those things. I wouldn't have done healthcare. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. As much as I love it. That concludes um, the question and our set, but thank you so much. Um, it's been great, like speaking with you and thank you for agreeing and be, uh, agreeing to be a part of our podcast. We've um, yeah. Enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for yeah, having really. me. It was so nice to be here. It was really, really nice to be here. And your questions are so thoughtful. So I, I really appreciate you having me and uh, and being such great hosts. Thank you for having the energy energy that you do, right? Like it's it's been like so nice because you're just so energetic. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I feel like that's literally something that is both a problem and a good thing, I think. So um, <laughs> thank you for bearing with me. <laughs> No, it's been so insightful to just like understand because personally, I don't know anyone that like is an author or is going down that route. So just understanding how that industry works, it's like really interesting. So that was pretty cool. There were a lot of things that I did not know. Yeah, feel free to ask anytime. Like don't don't hesitate. And your listeners as well, because I'm sure that you'll have billions is basically <laughs> just, you know, don't hesitate to ask and, and feel free to DM me or, you know, connect with me on Instagram or anything or email or anywhere. And uh, I'm happy to answer any questions all the time. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you.